industry. They're behind mm-hmm. all this transgenderism. In 1954, uh-huh. they took over the books that go into the schools, starting with Harvard. I mean, I could I wrote a, a big article on World Press, What Don't They Own? I could go down the list. And now in, in uh, Britain, you can't even say globalist. It's anti-Semitic to say globalist. Okay. They're now let me have one quick thing. System. They're all through the, these brick-and-mortar buildings called churches. And they do kind of but cringe no, when you call them too. Notice that you can say anything you want against a Christian or a Christ follower or a Jesus freak or a Jesus lover. You can right. say anything you want or what? and it's freedom of speech. Have you noticed? Or a white but person. Let you, can, you can say anything about... Uh, uh, oh, if you said Russia owns the TV stations, they'd be like, oh, let's bomb Russia, or, you know, China runs our food. Oh, let's bomb China. But you say the Jews own the banking system, and they do own uh, China. You know, they invaded China uh-huh. and turned them Yeah, uh, say anything, and people just have a meltdown, an absolute mm-hmm. meltdown. You even talk about mm-hmm. their... There's circumcision practices, and people are like, oh. Yeah, they can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but um, old, old it, Kanye, uh, poor Kanye, he's stepped into it, and I don't see any way out unless he falls on his knees, lifts his hands up high, and apologizes two or three hundred times. They might let him back in. I don't know. Unless it's a following. Right, right, right. And and or it's just another part of the the this all of these things become all of these things become another tool. It's another tool Mm -hmm. to say this is why we need laws and so forth to protect us. And you know Mm -hmm. it's interesting that that you come with this question, Russell. Um, because this series of fellowships here about these last days cultists is really speaking to the Christian churches because they are the quintessential last day cultists. And we need to understand exactly how they arrived at this, this title that I'm uh, uh, ascribing to them as these last days cultists. And uh, we, you know, I think we've got a pretty good handle on how it's happened and and what has transpired and that they are, in fact, doing it. The the problem seems to be that the vast majority of our kindred brethren do not and are woefully ignorant and are, you know, as a result, um, you know, being mightily oppressed and they really don't know where that oppression is coming from so um remember a couple of weeks ago i said that i i was inspired to what i believe is phase two in this two-pronged um you know leading of the spirit i guess and that is prong number two The very thing that you said in that was, who are these people? 
And we've all got a good idea and we know and we've obviously studied and, and read and 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 we've learned these things. But the vast majority, as I say, of our kindred brethren do not know it and are woefully ignorant. And our side has done, I believe, a really poor job of being able to handle the sword, if you will, with regards to this this whole um, whether it's the t- whether it's the pr- proverbial pejorative anti-Semitism or you know any of the rest of them that they that they know are directed at them, um, that that's all being used against us to say you know dirty white boy you know and so forth mm-hmm. and it really needs to be understood by our people and i have no illusion our we will find ourselves in the same situation the bible records and that is a vast majority of the people who just simply will either not care don't care whatever but what we're speaking to is we're speaking to the remnant we're trying to touch the hearts and the minds of a remnant that will go forward when that time has come. It may not be our generation of remnant, but it may be your children's generation or your children's children's generation. Because, and in the meantime, we might sit here and sourpuss faces and say, well, this is great. How does this all work out? Um, You know, we had a baby boom in the United States. And then we had a baby kill off in the United States. And, you know, as I said a couple of weeks ago as well, I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. And they're behind abortion also. Right. And so as a result, um, other women. Yeah, we. Yeah, we have not we have not perpetuated our race and I'm going to actually get into something tonight that specifically addresses from their perspective what they are to do and as um uh um author uh, richard hoskins said to me one time he said our propaganda's got to get better and you might think of propaganda being the term that you wouldn't want to use but he certainly understood how he was using it and understood that i knew mm-hmm. or would understand how he was using it <clears throat> And the fact is, our people just simply don't know. There's nothing out there that we've had for, you know, centuries, in fact, that has has really taught people the truth. And so it, it so we can sit here with grim faces and everything and think, well, this is this is totally unfair. You know, how's this work? You know, God said he was going to do these things and made these blessings and promises. Don't be fooled. He has. And that's our encouragement. We look around here at us and we can simply say that he's done everything that he said he was going to do. And this is what's really sad about the Christians is they don't even understand the prophecies that have been fulfilled in him. And that these blessings promised to the Israelites did not just fall as seeds on thorny ground or something. They, they literally have been being cultivated. We the, the, are the ones that failed to do our jobs, which is to continue to multiply. Think about the time in Egypt. 
there were 70 people went into Egypt. Three score and 10. And by the time we read those passages that said, let us deal wisely with this people who have grown mighty in number. Let us deal wisely with these people. And yet, we meant them no harm. I'm sure we were industrious and fulfilling all the wildest dreams of the Pharaoh. But there was a grave concern. That grave concern was they're getting mighty in number and they might just rise up against us if one of those that we offend out there decide to rise up against us. They might they might take their side. Can't have that. And we and we failed to continue to multiply our seed. And as Melissa said, they have indeed been behind that. And not only that, Melissa, even bigger than that to me, bigger than the abortion things, bigger than that was contraceptives. Yeah, they well, that was a Jewish man uh, that invented that also. Exactly. And up you know in ephesians it says thou are my battle axe and weapons of war knowledge is a great weapon it is a great weapon the more we know and sometimes we have to even read their writings but the more we know the more we can spread and this is the way i look at it if i talk to 50 people and one person listens and they talk to 50 people and one person listens i've done my job well, exactly. And that's always been one of my models is that, you know, we're told in uh, in Ezekiel, you know, that we are to warn. And even warning the wicked is a principle. Um, let's, let's read a biblical it. principle. Where, I'll look it up. Where is it located? Doug? Oh, let's see. Uh, what am I looking for in my mind? Um, Ezekiel. Uh, yeah, See, I, just, I believe it's Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel I'm giving you a lot um, of credit. Yeah, I'm trying to just keep get the thought in my head because um, let's see, what was the um, um, somebody if I warned them out. from um, <laughs> if you warn. And he takes not refuge. Um, I'm trying to remember the scripture in my in my mind. If he sees the sword coming, yeah, I'm just trying to get time? pieces. Of, no, uh, it's in chapter two, verse seven, maybe. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. No, no, it's going to be Ezekiel 33. And because I'm I'm 
I'm with Melissa. You know, my objective is to warn. My objective is to warn. And, you know, people can throw a label on you and call you negative and, you know, whatever else. Um, uh, if they think they're going to change it by an election and, and you know, that sort of thing, uh, they can live in that delusion. Um, uh, Ezekiel 33. Okay. Um, 33.6. Are you there? Do you want me to read it? Uh, yeah. You are you to read it? Exactly. You're there. Okay, go. Yeah, go ahead. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Go on. Uh, now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. You will, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn away, turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. Okay. And that is the watchman's warning. As watchmen on the wall, we want to warn our Israelite brethren that you're being stupid. You're acting with iniquity. If you don't change the sword, whenever it comes, will devour you and you will die in your iniquity. But my hands are clean. But if I see the sword coming and I don't warn anybody about that sword coming and that sword being judgment. And that sword being that they're going to die in their iniquity. Then God requires the blood of me. Because I failed to warn. And as I've said, this is pretty much where I have come uh, to this is um, these warnings go out. And as Melissa said, if one person hears that warning and heeds it and turns and decides to walk on the side of truth, then the Lord has captured one of those that he was calling and that's the way that that you know i've just come to see these things and as i have looked at these past you know several um fellowship weeks as well on this particular part of it um these last day cultists i think some of your questions or at least and I understand your questions were rhetorical, but some of those thoughts in those questions are going to come again in this part tonight. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, to what do they say, give it a, a commercial or something. <clears throat> but I'm, as I say, this this has kind of been another one of these two pronged things that I believe the spirit was leading me on. And I'm on this particular side of it. 
And I believe this is this is truly going out and to our people telling them of the sin that they're involved in. And the second phase of this then is really dealing with the wicked and hey, identifying Doug, are you recording? the wicked. Yeah, I am. Are you, are you and recording? identifying the Yes, yes, we are. It's recording. And identifying the wicked then. And actually, the thought occurred to me as I was driving home this evening, the thought occurred to me and I said, you know, there's I know that oftentimes as this is an open fellowship, I say to everybody, number one, it's open in terms of if you have a topic that you want to bring, this is just available for you. You can bring a topic, send me an email, say, I've been thinking of reviewing this and so forth, or this passage of scriptures or, you know, anything or a particular subject or whatever. And, and fine, because the idea is that, is that we're all supposed to, you know, show ourselves approved and rightfully handling the word of truth and being ready to defend this word of truth of the of the, uh, of the biblical record for us so here's just a medium that's all this has ever been to anybody it's not anybody's or anything else it's just here it's a way that we can all engage and do it um so that being said then the second part of this or the thing that i was thinking about was how about just throwing this out to you guys that in the upcoming weeks now it may be you know three to four weeks away yet because i believe that i've still got maybe two if not three more parts to this based on what is coming and what i've been researching and so forth uh and then i want to get into the wicked and so this might be a call to out to all of you to say hey you know, pull some research thoughts together and so forth about the wicked. And this happens to be one of these times that I'm thinking a little bit ahead, and I'm actually able to say to you that are fellowshipping and that are hearing at the archives and stuff, here's here's the little homework assignment for what we're going to be doing in the upcoming weeks. And we've had that periodically from time to time before. But uh, I really feel that that's one there that we we ought to be doing. And so in that, along the lines of this thing that you said, Russell, which is, who are these people? That thought which occurred to me is take all of the quotes, because even as we've done these fellowships and stuff over the years and the various the various ones, we might have one, two, six, you know, or or whatever quotes. And I think that people tend to sometimes think, okay, you know, there's a little quote. Anybody can take a quote. It's probably used out of context or whatever else. You know what I'm saying? And I got to thinking as I was driving home, there probably, I know that there are people who have websites and, and, and have all these various Jewish quotes and so forth. Um, but I was thinking, you know, how many times have our people actually heard a series of these types of quotes in various uh, forms, in other words, various subjects or topics in which they might have been addressing or referring to, and really put them out on an audio? And I got to thinking, you know, uh, that really is something in these upcoming weeks that 
we definitely can do. And it has nothing to do with being anti-Semitists uh, or anti-Jews or whatever they want to label. The fact of the matter is we're laying out the truth as it is spoken from them. And if they're offended by us laying out the truth as spoken from them, then they have a serious problem. And it's high time our people recognize that serious problem that they have. And it is a serious problem. They have a critical, critical problem in that everything, everything that is wrong and anti-God and anti-Christ in any country, in any land, comes from a root of one of these individuals setting the seedbed for sin, which is the other thing you said, Russell, about God, our God hates sin and I hate sin. Well, if I hate sin, I've got to hate people that sin and will not repent of the sin. That is why Matthew 18 told us, you know, you rebuke that brother. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. If he won't hear you, take it to the elders. If he won't hear to, with, a, with of course, it's a second witness, you take it to the elders then, and the elders are supposed to dispatch it um, properly to the individual who's in sin. And if he still won't repent, then he's to be cast off. And I cast these people off. I do not cast these people as people of God at all. As I said, even if they can claim an ounce of Israelite blood, I cast them off as the people who are not people of God because they do not the will of the Father. They do not acknowledge the Son whom all authority was given to when he redeemed his people Israel. So. That enough is enough for me that they are not people of God. You can just take that for whatever you want. Now, before we start running out of time, let me get into tonight's uh, fellowship here, if we can. And in recapping from last uh, week's fellowship, part five, a number of things. Either one believes Jesus did indeed fulfill the prophecies of bringing Israel and Judah together again, as the Apostle Paul declared, or one does not. It's as simple as that. And you know who does not believe that Messiah. And don't be fooled by the Messianic Jews, those Messianic Jews who say they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but yet, still hold to their own Jewish tradition and religion. So just uh, one footnote for last week. And again, these last day cultists who desire is their own belly. They refuse to acknowledge the irrefutable biblical, ethnological, philological, geographical proofs, not only fulfilled in the prophecies, but biblical and secular history both. And to do so, these last days cultists would have to completely reverse hundreds of incorrect interpretations, traditional interpretations, 
that has actually eliminated biblical intent and meaning from the clear definitions of the words written and given them entirely different meanings and each time rendering them useless for proper understanding. Instead, a whole doctrine of spiritualizing theology has been spawned and its offspring are the last day's cultists who continue to perniciously peddle it to the unsuspecting masses. There's just no getting around it. And the evidence of that theology is found every time one hears prophecies concerning biblical Israel being attributable to those called Jews today to the exclusion of greater biblical ten-tribed Israel while simultaneously projecting those same prophecies spiritually and same prophecies and spiritual blessings onto those referred to as Gentiles. That's where you find the evidence of that theology every single time. And it's been occurring since the third or fourth century that these prophecies have been relegated to the ash bin of spiritual theological hellfire rather than applied literally upon a literal house of Israel and a literal house of Judah. The hope of Jacob Israel to be fulfilled by Christ the Redeemer is instead relegated to a far future fulfillment and has rendered Christ's redemptive work for Jacob Israel an unfulfilled prophecy. And to do so denies the very essence of the gospel message and seals it with none to open the seals. Just as Isaiah told us about at Isaiah 29, 11 to 12. So that was just a recap of the final notes in part five. In this part six, we're going to take that theology of spiritualizing biblical Israel's rightful blessings and prophecies authored by God centuries, even millennials before their respective fulfillments and casting them upon the Gentiles. The task. We're going to take it to task. It's totally disingenuous at best and blasphemy at worst for the traditional theology which eliminates clear biblical meaning and intent of every word of scripture and twist it to fit the theology. You must take the words that I speak and test them by the Bible. The last day's cultists want you to take the words of the Bible and interpret them in accordance with their words, which they speak. Now I'll just ask you, which one should you actually believe? I try. Hey, hey Doug. Uh, hey guys. Um, so I was just thinking through this, and and a lot of you know when you're talking about the Jews, it's really they want to get you into their word speak, you know, and their word speak, you know, they might, you know, they'll throw out like 
anti-Semitic and, and all of them. And it really doesn't matter because they don't matter. But they are a stumbling block uh, for uh, Jacob Israel. And Absolutely. so like one of them is for, you know, the Gentiles, because you will hear the argument. Yeah, we're just the Gentiles, like we're these foundlings that God just, you know, adopted. But, you know, what I try to do is to get is to interpret that word Gentiles and it just means nations. That's that's all it means is nations. And when you when you interpret it that way, then it comes alive when, you know, when uh, when God um brought about the new covenant and uh he went out and when jesus was here and he went out to the lost sheep of israel right and in, and even in all the uh the letters to the churches right in the new testament they're all europeans i mean it was it was that's where it was and so i think that that has helped me uh you know when you're when you're talking with people because it's it's like they point they want to put that as you were saying doug that future event yet to be fulfilled not and, and and it's bad enough for that, but also to say, well, it's a future event, and we're still waiting for those Jews to come around because God loves them and and He's going to redeem them, right? And so they even got that wrong. So um, the whole Gentiles thing is is one that you you can't let that just kind of hang in the air. You have to say Gentiles just interprets nations, and and we in fact do represent nations uh, when you talk about Anglo-Saxon uh, Europe. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have a series of fellowships, Israel, Judah, and Jew. And I encourage, and again, like I say, all of us here, we are under the understanding and we acknowledge that. But for those out there that you can put a copy of that in front of them, you know, send it out in an email, Israel, Judah, and Jew. When you're on Gab and you see something that you know, hey, follows in line with that, you know, send, you know, send a link to part one or part two or, you know, some some link that, you know, had some reference there. But we we literally went through the Bible, Israel, Judah and Jew. We didn't use a lot of outside reference or anything else. We literally went through the Bible and it was a seven, seven or eight part series there. So it's a really good one explaining exactly what Eric is saying. But as I said, I think you'd want to believe the words of the Bible and test those who speak them by the words of those, uh, those words in the Bible. And in that, I have my confidence. It's the foundation of all scriptural understanding. If you're going to wrest the meanings of those words from their clear and unequivocal intent, and you have a recipe for interpretation by someone's theology. And that's what's happened to us. And turn now to uh, Matthew 23 as we begin to really dig into what it is that we've got going on here that I think sometimes the Christian, professing Christian, really misses. And, and, and I believe that largely professing Christians miss things because they're really listening to something as opposed to really digging into the scriptures and letting the scriptures you know work in their heart and and uh you know give their intellect a, a challenge but matthew 23 let's start with verse one and i'm going to read f fast 
to cover what I want to cover in this, but I do want to lay the whole scripture out rather than I know we're already a little bit after the hour here, but I want to lay the whole thing out. Jesus said to the multitude, to his disciples, saying. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that observe and do. But do not you after their works for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men. Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not you called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be you called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that's greatest among you shall be servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves. Neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. He said they sit in Moses' seat. That means they're supposed authorities in the word of God. He said that they say, but they don't do as they are saying to you. He said they bind burdens upon men, but won't even lift a finger. He says their works are for to be seen of men. He said they enlarge their credentials. I know it says phylacteries and the uh, borders of their garments. And we can get into all that. I think a lot of you already know what that is. But I, I couched it this way. They enlarge their credentials as knowledgeable and teachers. And I hope that helps. He said that they love recognition and to be seen of men. And he said that they love to be called rabbi and that they love to exalt themselves above others. He also said that they shut up the kingdom of heaven to men, denying them even the authority that's actually given them by God to enter. And then they devour widows' houses, meaning their estates. And everywhere they go, they teach so ineptly. Everywhere they go, they teach so ineptly and full of hypocrisy. They actually make their converts twofold more childs of hell, meaning death, subject to death, 
than they themselves are. And this condemnation was the subject of the third woe at 2315. What we have here is ecclesiastical leaders ineptly teaching the legislative intent of the law. Because the legislative intent of the law is to do justice by it. If it's not taught properly and executed with judgment, it leads to twofold child of hell. Twofold destined for death. And also teaching a false last day's cult and holding a people called Jews today as all righteous and holy before God and thus teaching others to look to them for God's prophecies to be fulfilled in them is to walk with blind eyes with them into damnation and judgment. Sure and certain hell, death. And what this conveys is false teaching and pretense are far more dangerous to the will of God and consequently for those doing as they do. These Judahites, the ecclesiastical leaders of the day, were responsible for leading others to damnation. It's as plain as the nose on one's face, and there's no pun intended. Not only this, remember, the Herodians were Herod's political arm or political henchmen. The Sadducees were to the left, and then the religious right would be your rabbis. So what you had was the religious right, the Sadducees on the left, and the political forces of the civil government right there in the middle. The more things change, the more things stay the same. And the biblical record, according to Jesus, conveys it suffered more by the supposed learned keepers of the law and the misapplication of God's legislative intent and subsequently the misunderstanding of the clear intent and context than from those already enemies to God's will and sovereignty. Are you following me? He's telling us that this word and the intent and the legislative intent of his word was suffering more from the ecclesiastical leaders themselves than anything else from the enemies of the outside. In other words, civil administrators who were too learned and much, could not. Much like today. It's it's exactly today, exactly right. So to understand or teach the prophecies in a general figurative or spiritual sense and not specifically to the correct and respective houses of Israel and house of Judah is the only reason that one can be erroneously led into believing and applying a future glory to those calling themselves Jews today or even a spiritualized people called Gentiles. Because to do so, you have to deny the gospel message that is the good news of Israel's redemption in Christ, and it denies Christ's work was actually accomplished. 
And when you really see what's going on out there, you see the religious leaders actually really not believing that Christ's redemptive work has really been done. And that's the harm in this. And these last day cultists have taken the biblical words and used by various authors and of, of the biblical authors here, and they've ascribed words and other meanings entirely and given them erroneous intents and all for the purposes of their theology. And some of them seem to have forgotten that these excoriations here in Matthew 23 and the woes that were ascribed to them for their improper teachings. When you stop and think about it, the modern church world, by the spiritualized theology that they've adopted in expropriating the blessings and the prophecies, cannot be substituted to a Gentile church. Unless those doing so are finally willing to acknowledge they are biblical Israelites. As I said last week in part five, this theology and its adherence has literally transferred the gospel's intended good news onto a people they call Jews today at the exclusion of the true inheritors. By what biblical authority have they found this arbitrary application of their theology? The answer, of course, is by none. And that is which oftentimes why one finds them in contradiction, not only with the Bible, but even amongst themselves. And by it, they bring their entire interpretive license into alignment with the purpose for the woes of Matthew 23. The whole, quote, spiritual Israel, end quote, connotation has no foundation in the Bible, yet it is employed by today's church world and has misled millions in Christendom to accept and believe upon a false theology, twofold more child to hell than themselves. God, through Isaiah, addressed this spiritual blindness. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 29. I really think there's another thing that we should do, folks, is uh, the more I have been considering it, um, I'd really, and you know, there's just not enough, I guess, fellowship days in a week. But this book of Isaiah is one that we really should go through just the way we did Hosea, Isaiah 29, let's begin at uh, verse 9. Stay yourselves and wonder, cry you out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, has he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that's learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I can't. It's sealed. Then the book is delivered to him that's not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I'm not learned. 
Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. I'll stop there. Drop down to 16, and I'm just going to skip. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. Now leave it there. Drop down to 18. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. This is a prophecy of a people seeing, a people hearing, a people understanding about the Holy One of Israel. Drop down to 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of, H of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. Let's do 23 and 4. But when he sees his children, the work of mine hand in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. This and the rest of the chapter is literally fulfilled in biblical Israel, not figuratively. It is Israel who heard his voice. It is Israel, biblical Israel, who rejoiced at their redemption by his blood, which was shed for them. Having defiled the marriage contract with whoredom and infidelity, they had no comprehension that God could possibly ever fulfill those promises in Abraham and Jacob. They never once in their wildest imaginations dreamed that he would indeed give his life. They might be redeemed, bought back. When this news, this gospel means good news, was carried about, it was received by millions around the globe where he had already scattered them. It's an infallible proof to match the fulfilled prophecies with the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, Celtic, and kindred peoples. And that is evidenced in their historical achievements authored by none other than God. It's not even remotely evident among those calling themselves Jews today. It is divinely demonstrated, and it is as the literal seal of God upon those to whom the prophecies apply. The critics of this infallible proof being fulfilled in the Anglo Saxon peoples have often retorted. Well, if this be true, then how is it that so many scholars have seemingly missed it? Is it not as Isaiah 29, 10 conveys? I believe God is already in another process 
of closing the eyes, closing the ears. And he's poured out a spirit of deep sleep. Of those rulers. The seers. The ecclesiastical. Leaders of today. Just think Amen. about it. The church world. And the greater last days cultists. Point to those calling themselves Jews today and declare, behold, God's chosen people. Look at how reverently they worship God and maintain the old ways, they say. Yet God clearly says otherwise. Turn to Hosea chapter 2. Many of you know this from our dissertation on Hosea, deep dive into Hosea. Hosea 2.11 here, let's see context, what can I do for you? See what I'm wanting to, And now let's start at 10. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease. Her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths and all of her solemn feasts. Now, one thing I did not do in the Hosea series. Is I wasn't really ready, I guess, to probably do it in my own mind and how, but as we, as we did in the revelation series, a bird's eye view, I was trying to give us an understanding and idea of that book of revelation being a fulfilled book as opposed to a future book, because we've been so mired in that doctrine for so long, but I really understood now more even this scripture right here in 211 of Hosea, he says, I'm going to call, I'm going to put an end to her feast days. I'm going to put an end to her new moons. I'm going to put an end to her Sabbath and all her sab solemn feasts. The reason I'm pointing this out more is trying to convey that you are denying the prophecy of Hosea, saying that. Judah and greater Israel was going to have these things taken and they were going to be no more. And that's very important because, as I say, the way the last days called us in the church world. Point to these these calling themselves Jews today and declare God's chosen people. And and expressing to us, well, just look at how reverently they worship God. You know, they have the the word right on their forehead, and they, you know, and they're just so so devout. They wish us to believe, and yet God clearly said, "There's their moon, their new moons are going to cease, her feasts are going to cease, 
her Sabbaths are going to cease, her solemn assemblies and feasts are going to cease. That tells all of us that that, in fact, happened in 70 AD with the destruction of Judah, Jerusalem, and greater Judah, who would not believe and did not repent as they were instructed by the Messiah themselves to do. And a lot of people have been really confused by Jews being those people. And I have to be careful how I say this because I want us all to understand it. <sighs> because we've been so indoctrinated to want to hate for the wrong reason, if that makes any sense. And so to clarify what I'm trying to say is that for a long, long time, a lot of people have believed that these people called Jews today are all of those people called Jews, if you will, in that New Testament, New Covenant book and those epistles written by the various writers. Delineate in your mind, if you will. Delineate in your mind. There were some of those who were, and there were some of those who were not. That's the delineation you need to make in your mind. Even some of those who were true Judahites, who were the leaders of the day, failed to adhere and heed the warning. And they did not heed that warning in part because God didn't want them to. That would be yours and my fellow Judahites, yours and my fellow Israelites in the land of Judea during Passover and so forth, and even in the ensuing 38, 37 plus years till the destruction of the temple. Some were and some were not. That's the delineation I ask that each of us make in our minds and don't get drug into this thing that so many who've understood their biblical identity have tried to get you to believe and to adhere to. It's not a correct doctrine. And I'm telling you, if you have an issue to address the scripturally, address it scripturally. That's what we're to do as Bereans is to address it scripturally. But I'm telling you, make that delineation in your mind and you won't fall into that error. I veered off a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I made that point. So our God does not, as he said, does not want everybody to see who might even be your own Israelite brethren. Because for some reason, their hearts have not changed, their hearts are not with him, and their hearts are still rejecting. And if it's his will to blind their eyes and to close their heart and their mind to understanding, it's his prerogative. So when they do that, as I said, 
Look at how devout these people are. God clearly says otherwise. He said those things were going to be done away with. So if you're looking and your, you know, churchianity friends are throwing those things out to you, you take them to things like Hosea 2.11. And, and there's other scriptures. You can cross-reference those scriptures. I think Hosea chapter 8 is a second witness to this uh, in Hosea 2.11. And certainly, you know, there are more prophecies that, that assist us with that. But how can we know assuredly that such a long list of prophecies attributable only to biblical Israel or Judah can actually be unequivocal proof of its attended applicability? So again, the question, how can we know assuredly such a long list of these prophecies attributable only to biblical Israel or Judah to be the unequivocal proof of its attended applicability? Uh, Rich kind of swerved into it last week, in fact. Uh, turn to uh, Isaiah 42.9. And context we may need a little bit more than that uh, let's see uh no uh, again uh bird's eye view of revelation right here at nine isaiah 42 9 behold the former things are come to pass and new things do i declare before they spring forth i tell you of them and i think that's what rich said to us either last week or the week before he always tells his people, the prophets, and we are all priests and kings in Christ now. So whenever this word speaks to us, we're, we're speaking as prophets when we speak in his name. <coughs> so if he, if he says, I'm going to tell you about them, and they spring forth before I tell you of them. That's all the proof you need. But the vast majority of the church world doesn't know these things have actually occurred. And so that's another reason why I think we're really going to have to, you know, go back in and do a lot of these actual books and go through them book by book, just as we did in the fellowship series on Hosea. So the manifestation of the prophecies is only evident and accomplished in the obvious blessings which have abounded in the Anglo-Saxon peoples. In other words, there's no other people that these prophecies are accomplished in. There's no other people. And this is the manifest purpose of the elite, powerful Jewish financers bankrolling all of the anti-Anglo-Saxon propaganda and the tools that they employ to cast this people as nothing more than imperial conquerors, having stolen everything from every people on the face of the earth. They always accuse you of what it is they do. You know, Joe makes a good point in the chat. He said that white Judeo-Christians actually get angry when they're told that the we are the Israelites. 
They are rejecting their birthright, he says. God has put a strong delusion in them because they have no love for the truth. Blind, leading of the blind. Can't disagree. We're still supposed to tell them. We're still supposed to tell them. If you see the sword coming and you take not, you warn not those that the sword is coming. They're going to die in their iniquity, but the blood he's going to require at their hand and not your hand, brother. Amen. I know exactly what Joe's meaning by that because we see it all the time. Every time you try to tell them and try to encourage them. And again, so well, I'm hoping that what we can do is try to encourage them in such a way that it's so encouraging. It's such good news. And by saying to him, you know, that's what people thought years ago. That's what they thought at the time of Christ, in fact. They could not believe, could not believe that this good news was actually about redeeming them, putting them back. There is a new covenant, by the way. <laughs> uh, do you remember where that new covenant is, you could say to him? Well, it's in Hebrews 8.8. 8. You know, and it's it's just getting better at how we do it. Because we've been angered. We've been angered by being deceived by our churches. We've been angered by even other people who profess to be what they claim to be biblical Israelites. And they've let us down another primrose, primrose road of destruction, essentially. Melissa says the same thing counter the same thing over and over especially among klaus family absolutely so what we've done is we've abundantly revealed in several of the fellowships that the people upon whom these undeniable biblical prophecies and blessings have been evident is in the anglo-saxon kindred peoples and i know others are doing it all over we're not the only ones just remember the prophecy when it was said hey i've got seven thousand reserved who have not bowed their knee to bail you know if he could take 60 people and turn them in a great multitude and he can take a seven thousand of a remnant and turn it into his will and his desire, I have no doubt. We just all would like to be a part of it. But we are. We're being a part of it. We are playing the part of it. We keep saying and we keep telling. And it's only in these people do you find the old covenant promises fulfilled, including the blessings pronounced upon Israel and his, pro his own progeny. Biblical Israel's identity was no longer to be found in her old covenant festivals, in her old covenant new moons, in her old covenant feasts, in her old covenant mirth, or even in her old covenant Sabbath keeping. Turn back to Hosea. It reminded me of that. Uh, I just when I was in Hosea 2 for the notes on this, 
went back to the beginning of Hosea 2 and read it. Two, three. Lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like dry land and slay her with thirst. The only way these infallible posts, you see, what this is saying is stripping her naked. You can't expect to find old covenant prophecies, so to speak, the prophecies of the old covenant. You cannot expect to find them in the same way that you would have expected to find them during the old covenant. I don't know if I made sense on that. In other words, what I'm saying is that the new covenant created a new way of things. As he said, things are going to be new. New things are coming to pass. And so you can't look always to the old, which is what the last day cultists are doing and the greater church world that says, behold, God shows the people, the Jews, send them money in Israel. Okay. The reason is, is because they're looking to them in the old ways, which God said he's going to strip her naked and set her as the day she was born. If you're stripped naked and as the day you were born, that's totally new, brothers and sisters. And so the only way that these infallible post-biblical historical proofs are, quote, missed is because they've simply been disregarded in part, <clears throat> excuse me, as nothing more than figurative license on the part of the prophets. In other words, they've looked at the prophets and said, oh, this is all figurative language. Oh, this is all spiritual language. And they have essentially spiritualized away since their theology has spiritualized biblical Israel into a spiritualized Israel. To them, meaning the church. So the answer to Israel's post-biblical history relies conclusively upon believing all that the prophets have spoken. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin with 13. <clears throat> Behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Amos, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. I think it's roughly seven miles. And they talked together of these things which had just happened. And it came, as you know, the son of man has just risen. And the Marys have seen him. Came to pass, 15, that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were held that they should not know him. He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you are having with one another as you walk and are sad? One of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem has not known the things which are come to pass in these days. He said unto them, what things? They said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was 
<clears throat> a prophet, a mighty indeed, and word before God and all of the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were near, early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which with us went to the sepulcher, found it even so as the women had said. But they saw him not. Then said he unto them, O fools, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made us as though he would not have gone, he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry in to tarry with them. Came to pass, he sat at meat with them. He took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And as they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. They were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do the thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. When he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands, his feet, and while they yet believed not for and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witness of these things, and behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. <clears throat> Christ appearing to Cleopas and Simon. Verse 25 and 6, absolutely critical. O oh, fools! O oh, fools! I looked that word up, fools. Yeah. 
And as I said, when I started here, I got my notes a little bit out of the discombobulation and I think maybe a page is missing, but <clears throat> if I have any luck at all, I've still got that tab open. And well, that disappoints me. It really disappoints me. Um, let me see. Uh, fools. Gosh, I'm not seeing it, folks. I'm not seeing. I, I've got a page missing. Uh, well, so, silly, silly uh, stupid, or ignorant. Uh, well, absolutely. I've got a page missing, and um, I had to go to another left. notebook. I had to go to another notebook, and I think I somehow got a page dropped out. And um, um, it is, and it's very important, and I really wanted to expound on that. So let's do this. Um, I'm going to hit um, uh, Luke into Bible Hub real quick. Somebody else is doing it already, Luke 24. Um, it's really insightful. Um, 24, five was it? Yeah, 25. Um, and I'm going to do strongs. Okay. Um, just quickly, oh, fools. Uh, it's Eno uh, 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 Etoy. Um, Greek uh, number 453. And I just thought it was so, it says definition, not understanding, foolish, thoughtless. <clears throat> but I went into Greek's uh, lexicon there and went down into a little bit more in it uh, here. Um, mm, let's see. Generally, yeah. Uh, it says, number one, uh, Thayer's, great, Thayer's Greek lexicon. Number one, not understood, unintelligible. Number two, generally active, not understanding, unwise, foolish. And then it says, and often in um, boy, this is not at all like I remembered Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I went up to the helps word studies, number uh, 453, and it's anatos without and 3539 to think properly, not thinking, i.e. not reasoning through a matter. And don't we often talk about this? The people's lack of ability to think a matter through critical thinking, we call it. So what it says under the word studies helps, it says, um, without, well, it gives the two the two words that it's made up from, and then it says properly, not thinking, i.e., an example, not reasoning through a matter, with proper logic in parentheses, unmindful, which describes acting in a mindless, dense way, just plain stupid. <laughs> so I guess that's what we call today is cognitive dissonance. 
<laughs> just plain stupid. Just plain stupid, Eric. You know, why? Well, let's not improve on that. Let's just call it what it is. We can oh, call yeah. like cognitive dissonance. I know, but I, I like you know, that one too. <laughs> I, I like that one too. It is. It's like just plain stupid. And you're in the hey, headlights. Hey, hey, yeah. And would we say this, people that are listening to archives and so forth? We've all been there. We've all been there. Just plain stupid. Because we've let somebody else tell us something versus what we ought to do and know. And that's what's really, really unfortunate about it. Now, I know we're approaching the top of the hour and I have more that would probably take me another 15 to 20 minutes. And I don't want to delay past the top of the hour, but I will say this in the few remaining minutes. If you were to review the numerous prophecies of Christ's redemptive work of Israel, you would need to begin, and I'm going to fire these passages off. I took some time to do that just so that they would be available in the recording. We're not going to go to them. If one was to review the numerous prophecies of Christ's redemptive work in Israel, and redemptive work of Israel, true, literal, biblical Jacob Israel. You would need to begin at Genesis 3.15, Genesis 22.18, 26.4, Numbers 21.9, Deuteronomy 18.15, Psalms 16.9-10, and 22. One Psalm 132, verse 11, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 40, 10 and 11, Isaiah 50, verse 6, and the whole of chapter 53, I guess, because that's what I put down. Jeremiah 23, 5, 33, 14 and 15, Ezekiel 34, 23, and Ezekiel 37, 25, Daniel 9, 24, Micah 7, 20, Malachi 3, 1 and 4, 2, and Acts 17, 3, 1 Peter 1, 11, and John 1, 45, just to name a few. I really want to do this last bit, you guys. If you gotta, if you gotta go, I understand. But uh, pull the archive and listen to the last ten minutes or whatever. I really want to do it here. Um, those prophecies, the, that's that's a multitude of prophecies, a multitude of prophecies. Maybe I can't do it, you guys. I think I've lost too many pages. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm not seeing it. Um, okay. I wanted to, uh, I remember some of what I was thinking, I had in those notes. 
when you think of Joseph and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and the blessings that were pronounced on that, on, on those two tribes, Joseph's tribe, Joseph's uh, seed. Think about what happened there. I was reflecting on this. Here you had 10 of Joseph's brothers in front of Joseph denying he was alive. I bet you didn't think about that, did you? I was reflecting on that and it just kicked me right upside the head. And I'm like, Joseph's 10 brothers are standing right before him saying, we have, we are 12 brothers. One is not, and one, the youngest is not with us, is with his father. And Joseph called them spies. Here are Joseph's 10 brothers denying that Joseph is alive. To me, it just was profound to think of it in that rationale at, at that moment here this past you know few days. And I'm like, wow, you know, yes, I've read the scripture. Yes, I know he's standing in front, you know, they're standing in front of him, but just the thought of that was astounding to me and that right there the prophecy of ephraim and manasseh is alive ephraim and manasseh is alive that's what I was saying to myself. And this is what our people don't even understand. Ephraim and Manasseh is alive. And it also occurred to me, Joseph's 10 brothers didn't like Joseph. They really didn't like that Ephraim and Manasseh was alive. I want you to let that sink in. You know what I'm saying, don't you? We've got yeah. brethren, Israelite brethren, Israelite brethren who know Joseph is alive. And they didn't like Joseph. They wanted him dispatched in some way, but they were too cowardice to take his life themselves. Think about that. And so is it any wonder we have people amongst us who don't want to listen to us? Don't want to hear us? It just it just made all the sense to the in the world to me. But so can these people, these last day cultists call that call Jews and proclaim God's chosen people, can they fulfill the multitude of prophecies that of all those prophecies that I that I read those scriptures where those prophecies have to be fulfilled, can they be fulfilled in those alone? And the answer, of course, is obvious. They can't. Therefore, the incessant refrain, behold, God's chosen people is so untenable. And the charade and the deception must end. 
and we're the generation to end it. Hallelujah. Will it be without? Will it be without consequence for us? Oh, I don't think so. Now, hang with me. Hang with me. Jesus' own words in John 10, 16 belie the deception. However, if this people called Jews today were to conquer these Anglo-Saxon kindred peoples and were set upon, or maybe I should say, and were to spit upon their Messiah and those being called by his name were being drawn to sin against him, which is what Russell began with this evening, then as long as these Anglo-Saxon kindred peoples do not know their identity, it would be extremely probable. I want you to listen to something. Hang with me. It's going to be worth it. I want you to listen to how Jewish rabbi Shemor described accomplishing just that. Do I need to cover that last thought for you one more time? If this people called Jews today were to conquer these Anglo-Saxon kindred peoples and were to spit on their Messiah and those called by his name were to be drawn into sin against him, then as long as these Anglo-Saxon kindred peoples did not know their identity, it would be extremely probable. Listen to how Jewish Rabbi Shemur described accomplishing just that when faced with these Anglo-Israel supremacists and their demands to get the people under the authority of Christ the King. It was published in the Revue des Estudes Juives, that's French for Review of Jewish Studies, published in Paris, France in 1889. This paper, the Review of Jewish Studies, was financed by Jew Jacob Rothschild, who managed the Paris branch of the Rothschild European Banking Operations. Shemur, rabbi of Arles, it's A-R-L-E-S, in Provence, France, wrote to the Grand Sanhedrin, whose seat was in Constantinople, for advice as to what to do for the people of Arles who were threatening their synagogues. And this is the advice. Dear beloved brethren in Moses, we have received your letter in which you tell us of the anxieties and misfortunes which you are enduring. This was January 13, 1489, 
January 13, 1489. Dear beloved brethren in Moses, we have received your letter in which you tell us of the anxieties and misfortunes which you are enduring. We are pierced by as great pain to hear it as yourselves. The advice of the grand satraps and rabbis is the following. As for what you say, that the king of France obliges you to become Christians, do it, since you cannot do otherwise. But let the law of Moses be kept in your hearts. Number one, as for what you say about the command to despoil you of your goods, Make your sons merchants, that little by little they may be they may despoil the Christian of theirs. Number two, as for what you say about their making attempts on your lives, make your sons doctors and apothecaries that they may take away Christian lives. Number three. As for what you say of their destroying your synagogues, make your sons canons and clerics in order that they may destroy their churches. Four, as for the many other vexations you complain of, arrange that your sons become advocates and lawyers and see that they always mix themselves up with the affairs of state in order that by putting Christians under your yoke, you may dominate the world and be avenged on them. Do not swerve from this order that we give you because you will find by experience that, humiliated as you are, you will reach the actuality of power. Signed, VSSVFF, Prince of the Jews. 21st Castile, which is November, 1489. So they appealed to the Sanhedrin in January of 1489 and got the word back in November 1489. That, ladies and gentlemen, was a plan. And I think it's pretty obvious why Rothschild insured that publication in 1889. Just think of what happened. That had been 400 years from when it was written. And they had already shown themselves the path. I believe that was about when the protocols were probably most likely written. And they had already subjugated Europe. They were working on Russia in the Bolshevik Revolution. Germany came along and they dealt with them both. And they used the U.S. as a two-four. And so you're looking at a conqueror's plan. And as Russell asked, who are these people? And that's what we're going to answer in the upcoming parts of this fellowship on this series here. It's it's the two 
it's the second wing of it that I spoke about a few weeks ago. We're not there yet. I've got more I want to cover on just these proofs of biblical Israel and and probably another two or three. And uh, and then we're going to get into that enemy. Who are these people? And we're going to lay it out. And I'm going to hold no, nothing back. And we're going to let their words speak for themselves. We're going to let their words be their doom. So I thank you for hanging with me. I had a little bit uh, out of order in these notes. Like I say, it looks like I'm missing a page of some thoughts I had, especially that, that, uh, that definition. So it took me a little extra time to get it pulled together quick so that I could maybe share that with you. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, staying with me. Um, I know that didn't give us a lot of time here for some follow-up thoughts or anything, but if anybody does, I'll certainly abstain. And uh, if anybody would like to have any concluding thoughts and prayers or anything, we certainly can. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, Melissa and Eric. Uh, it's, it's America's time to fall. And uh, may indeed be that time. Any closing thoughts or any want to want to take anything specially into prayer? Speak now. Yeah. Yes. Lord, please forgive us of our sins. First and foremost, we repent of our sins. Lord, we, we hate it when we do stuff that's not pleasing to you. So for just, Lord, forgive us, forgive our families, forgive our people. And yet, having said that, thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. May we stay steady and firm in your ways and your your desires and your laws and and just the way you lay it out, the way we're supposed to live, Lord. Give us courage to do it. We thank you for all your many blessings, Jesus. Lord God, you are the God of Israel. We've read of all your your miracles in the book, and we believe them, and we believe that you're going to save us, and you're going to come to our rescue, and you're going to destroy mm-hmm. our enemies. You've had enough of this bloodshed and this child sacrifice, and it's time for them to pay their dues. And we Amen. believe that you will believe us, Believe in your people and bring us back and we'll have a great revival. I'm positive on this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We do indeed know, Father, that we are the least, the least among your people. Just pray that you continue to use us in whatever mighty, mighty way in your will that you have planned. Father, we just know we're just thankful and grateful that we're able to fellowship with those who understand, those who believe everything the prophets have spoken and trust in it, rely on it, remain confident in it. We just thank you, Father for it just being a few of us 
we know you've got them all over. You've scattered us all over, Father, for good reason. Keep us strong and in the faith when the time of trial comes. Let us stand firm in your name and not waver from it. Asking these things, counting on it and trusting in it. There will be days, you promised us, there will be days where they'll come against us. If they came against you, they'll definitely come against us. Thank you, Father, for keeping us strong. Thank you and bless this, Father, this message of these fellowships, wherever they may go. Asking for it and thanking you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, good night, all. Amen. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, all. Good night. Good night. Good night, Rich.